Well, good morning. As you heard, it is Youth Sunday, and I'm trying to think, when I was in high school, I wouldn't want to be caught, one, dead in a church, and two, actually having to perform and function in any kind of reliable way was completely out of the question. So can we show our appreciation for all the students, what they're doing? Awesome job. Yep. Very thankful. Very, very good. Very encouraged, Joseph. You should be very encouraged. Well done. Well, we are continuing in our study on the book of Ephesians, and to do that, I have a very important question to ask that really kind of explains where we're going with all this, and that is, by a show of hands, how many of you have seen Top Gun? Raise your hand. Gets a lot of us. That's a fair number of us, right? Uh, I, I, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. Um, it's been a long time coming, right, and, and uh, the first one was was. Epic, right? And, and uh, I think it was fa fairly worth the wait. Uh, me and, and uh, my small group went on Thursday night, and we just had a great time. And it didn't disappoint. I mean, there was what you would expect in the movie, and, and actually it's what you expect in, in almost every movie. There is this plot line of good versus evil. And, and in that plot line, you, you, you see that, that story. And again, it, it comes in all forms of media, all forms of stories, all forms of movies. Top Gun didn't have anything on, on many of the other movies we've seen. But there's this, this the story where, where there's a good person or people, and, and they do something heroic to save somebody else or a, another nation or another group from evil. And I'm not going to spoil the story for those of you who haven't seen it, which I know you're thinking to yourself, I think I could probably figure it out, right? I mean, that's just kind of how Tom Cruise makes movies. But the, the question I have is, why are we drawn in to, those, to movies like that? Why are we drawn in? Why do we walk away from a movie feeling like it was a good movie when good ultimately prevails over evil? And, and, and why are our hearts um, warmed and, and we sense that that was the right thing when someone good saves someone else from evil? Why does that just seem like... The right thing. Why, why do all the books we read and this, the movies we watch, why does that all seem to be kind of how the story goes? Well, I would suggest to you that the reason that, that kind of resonates with us is because not are we just watching a story like that, but we are actually in one. And I believe, and I'll challenge you to find another book that explains reality better than the Bible. The, the, the Bible says that we are in a story, truly, God is writing a story in which good is seeking to overcome evil and in which there is someone good, and we know that person to be Jesus, who comes to save people who are not good, and we're going to talk about that this morning, from evil. And, and we sense that. We're, we're in that. I mean, I, I suspect that there's times during your life where you feel like, yeah, I need somebody to save me right now. Now, you may not ever utter that. Your pride might just keep you from ever even mentioning that aloud, but inside there's a sense, I, I need to get out of this. I need some help out of this. I need to be rescued out of this. Well, this morning, we come into our study of the book of Ephesians, in which Joseph and I, as we tag team this for you Sunday, we're going to be looking at a salvation, the salvation of you and me. And we're going to look at it from, by, and for. We, we are saved from something, we are saved by something, and we are saved for something. 
And I hope and pray that we'll come to understand exactly what that is because there are going to be moments in your life when you, when you sense, I need to be saved. And those moments are critical. They, they are strategic. That God is, is, is pointing and showing you your need for a savior. And if you pass them by, if you let them go, my friends, that does not end well for you. Not at all. So I'm going to pray to that end that we will understand salvation. We'll understand the from. We'll understand the by. And we're going to understand the for. Okay, would you join me, please? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you have preserved and protected it so that we could read it and understand it. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me and Joseph. We really have nothing to say in and of ourselves. But, God, you have everything to say through us. And I pray that you would do that in a way that would result in salvation in a way that would result in the growing in our faith and trust in you because of our salvation. And we ask that in the end, you would be glorified and honored, you and you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And good morning to you guys again. So as you guys may or may not know, my name is Joseph Colson. I am the student minister here at High Point Church. And I'd like to give a special shout out to my parents, Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Yes, I'm, I'm talking today. Just want to tell them that. Okay, before I get started, I actually want to go ahead and say a personal thank you um, to one very important person that has been working with me in the background to make this day a reality. And she is probably not even in this room. She's probably actually out in either the copy room or the office trying to make sure that everyone's lined up for next service, Beth Wyman. Um, she has been an amazing resource and a wonderful person. She's helped me get through, uh, keep my head on straight, and making sure that people are where they're supposed to be. So I would just like to go ahead and thank you, Beth. So now is the time when we normally we get up, we read scripture, and I was thinking of, because this is Youth Sunday, you're going to hear me talk for a while. I would love it if I could share have one of my teens come up. Liam Williams, would you please come up? And he's actually going to read the scripture for us, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It will be up here, but feel free to follow along. And one thing I'm also going to ask, I do this in, in the youth group, while we're reading, would you guys, if you're able, please stand up while we're reading God's word. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we are dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is of God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Let's go ahead and pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, we're here. We're ready. I ask now that as you're speaking, any distraction we have in our minds that we brought in 
you would just take it away from us for just a moment so that we could focus on you. Amen. Amen. Okay, so main point of this, the first few verses in here, I think what we can look at is that we have salvation from God's wrath, okay? We can point that out here. Salvation is from God's wrath. And Kevin's going to be talking a lot more about what the wrath of God is, what's its purpose, you know, why is God, what is going on here. But what I wanted to do is actually kind of set up the story and say, tell you kind of like, what's, what's, what's going on here? Why is God angry in the first place? Did, did I not wake up on time? Did I do something wrong? What, what's going on here? And I want to talk about that because I feel like it's important. I'm, I'm a big... I'm, a, I'm one of the, uh, with my seminary training, I tend to see the Bible as one story. And it's one story from the beginning to the end. And a lot of times, if we're confused about something, we can look behind us. And it's like, okay, if this is confusing, I can generally look in the Old Testament to find out what's going on here because they are one story. And so what we're going to do is I'm briefly going to go back to almost the beginning. We're actually going to go to Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to turn to it if you want. I'm just going to paraphrase it real quick. But we're going to go back to where God created the heavens and the earth, and everything was perfect. It was beautiful. There was nothing wrong about it. I mean, the grass was cut to this beautiful height. You know, you had fruit growing. You had just all this gorgeousness. And then God created man, and then he created woman. And he told him, all right, so you see all this beautiful fruit and all the vegetables and all the stuff over here, all the lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. All these amazing creatures. Yes, yes, we see them. Okay, you feel free to interact, eat any of the fruit, the vegetables that you want. Okay, just one rule. You see that tree over there? Yeah. Okay, that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. Because if you do, you're going to die. Okay, bye. And then God lets them do their thing. So... I was thinking about that. I'm going, you know, briefly looking at that, I, I kind of was thinking about it. And I was like, how do you think that would go? I mean, seriously, you, you say to a, a kid, it's like, all right, Junior, we're going to go over to the best, amazing theme park ever. Okay, we've got, which, by the way, I think it's actually either Disney World or Six Flags over Georgia because they've got amazing roller coasters. Anyway, so you're at this amazing theme park, and you say, hey, you see all those roller coasters? You can go on any one of them. You see all those amazing water rides? Feel free to do anything you want to do. You see that, those slices of pizza, chili dogs, those pretzels, all the root beer floats you can have? Yeah, all yours. Whatever you do, though, Junior. You see that clown over there? Don't poke it. What do you think is going to happen? The child is clearly not going to go, okay, Daddy, yeah, absolutely, no problem, and then go off and do it. He's going to be kind of like, that's what he's going to want to do. And this is essentially what happens. Okay, so here we are in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve are walking around, and the snake comes up and talks to him. Which, by the way, let's just take a moment to acknowledge that snakes talked in the Garden of Eden. And the snake says, hey, Adam, hey, Eve, how y'all doing? He's like, oh, we're doing good, we're doing good. Um, so, quick question. What are the rules here? Well, you know, we can eat anything we want except that tree, because if we eat that tree, we die. And the snake kind of goes, wait, I'm sorry, what? The, you, you die. Oh, no, 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 no. I think you misheard God. You're not going to die. You're going to be as smart as God. And there it is. That's the deception. The deception isn't 
oh, look at this something really nice. It's no, the deception that Satan used against Adam and Eve, and he still uses today, is that God is withholding something good from me. God's withholding something good from me. And from this deception that God is keeping good things from me, we only have two responses. Without Jesus, we only have two responses. And the first response is, we can't trust God. And the second one is, even worse, I'm not worth being loved. And I'll break that down for a little bit, but without God, humans will chase after whatever will fill them with love, or they will achieve and take anything because they don't trust that anyone's going to give them the good things that they need. We can't trust God is a, an idea that if you're saved, you're not saved, it doesn't matter. The idea is we still struggle with this one. Um, put it this way. You've turned to doctors, you've gone to all your checkups, and they still can't figure out what's wrong with you. What about when your mom and dad just won't stop arguing? They just won't stop fighting. And you're wondering, why won't mommy and daddy stop fighting? Maybe you've tried re reaching out to your spouse and they just won't understand. You're always arguing. There's just something always happening. Your child's sick. Good things don't happen in your household. You know that. You say, oh, yeah, I trust God. Absolutely. And inside you're going, I don't get it. Why is God keeping good things from me? It's the deception that we can't trust God. It's that God is not going to give us what we need, and so we struggle with this. And so instead of actually trusting and saying, you know what, even though bad things happen, I'm going to trust you, God, we take it for ourselves. We get really, really rich. We focus on money, and the next thing you know, we've got enough. We are good. We don't need God. That's, I'm fine. It's like, yeah, clearly I should probably work on my soul, but I've got enough money to take care of myself. My family is fine. I have pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I have never accepted help from anyone. I got this. And the other one's even worse. I'm not worth being loved. I'm not going to ask you to, but I mean, just think of it this way. How many of you guys grew up with absent fathers? Maybe absent mothers. And it left that hole right here. And you're saying, I don't really know what it's like being loved. And so you go on dates. You start looking at yourself and you're wondering, why on earth do people treat you like trash? Why do I treat myself like trash? And it takes years of trying to figure out what's going on so finally your therapist at one point goes, you don't feel like anyone should love you. It is a horrible response of what we were tricked into. We were tricked and deceived into thinking that God is keeping good things from us or that we're not worth being loved. And so people, when we're asking, when we're talking about this whole wrath, God is angry and he's wrath. And like I said, Kevin's going to go more on this. But one of the things he's so angry about is the fact that we are living in a very deceived point. We are constantly deceived in thinking that God doesn't love us. God's not going to take care of us, regardless if we're saved or not. We're constantly deceived, even though we may not be under the authority of the power of air and darkness and Satan, we are still under the influence. And that's what we're actually gonna talk about today is because this is, I don't wanna say the bad news, but this is where we're at right now. The good news, well, you'll hear about it in just a moment.
we've got the from. Okay, we, what Liam read, you, you see that, and, and then uh, verses 1 through 3 in there, you, you really literally see, if, if you have it there in front of you, that, that Paul makes a reference to the fact that we were, by nature, children under wrath, he says, under wrath. And as Joseph mentioned, he's, he's referring to God's wrath. Now, when we think of wrath, I, I think sometimes we, and it's, it's dangerous at times when, when the, the writers of Scripture try to communicate God in anthropomorphic terms, in, in terms of they try to ascribe to him a, a, a humanness, if you will, uh, in order for us to understand the infinite as, as being finite. And so when we hear that God is a God of wrath, we, we picture this being um, like, like a person who, who flies off at the handle, who, whose temper is just um, one little poke away. And, and you kind of like, you want to say, chill, dude. What, 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 come on. What, what are you doing? But that is not God's wrath. We have to understand that God's wrath is perfectly measured and calculated against the evil and, and he, he, he calibrates it exactly, and, and the response is appropriate given his holiness. God is holy. He is just. And when, when we sin against him, or as Joseph was explaining, when we choose, as Adam and Eve did, to trust someone else or something else other than God, that is offensive to him. And he gets angry, and deservedly so. And so we've got to be careful when we see this. But I, I, the point being is this is where all of us start. We start as that our nature is, and, and we, have, we have no interest in the things of God. Some of you were there. I remember being there. Some of you were just there. Where really the interest in God wasn't, there was no interest in God. There was interest in self. There was no interest in surrendering or submitting your life to God. It was about self. And I, I remember that very well, and at times it breaks in. Even when you become a follower of Jesus, you still wrestle with this idea that I, I want what I want, and I want it when I want it. And so we have the from here. Salvation is from the wrath of God. Now, let's pick up, what is the, what's the means? What's the by here? Well, look at verse 4. We see this big old but in the Bible. It's a great but, okay? I'm just going to say it that way. But God, right? But God. In other words... Paul is redirecting. He says, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. But God, let me reroute this. Let me, let me tell you of something amazing. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. He says, you are saved by grace. So he changes what he read earlier, because in, in Verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God did what? God made you alive. And that's a reference back to, if you remember in our first week of studying the book of Ephesians, go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Remember God, uh, or, or Paul in this letter, he backs up this truck, right, of these amazing spiritual blessings. And he just dumps them on the uh, church in Ephesus, for them to be mindful of all that God has done for them. And in verse 4, he says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Remember, we talked about that, that God chose people before they even were people to bless them in this way. And now he makes this reference back to, he says, Those that I chose, I make alive. 
Now, now, for those of you that have been made alive, it wasn't something you did. It was something that happened to you. And I, and I think the same thing. For me, it wasn't so, I did not go looking for God. I was running from him. I hated him. And in a dorm room in college, God made me alive. Not because of anything I did at all, zero. That's what we talked about in week one. Remember, God's choosing has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with me. It's 100% the grace of God. Now, that might sound a little scary to some of you. I, I encourage you, go back and listen to week one, okay? Because we go into really understanding what that means. But the point is, he makes you alive and he made me alive. And by making us alive, we come alive to the things of God. Was there a moment in your life when you like thought, I don't know why, but I just have this strong desire to want to go to church. I have this strong desire to want to pray to God. I have this strong desire to want to ask somebody about the things of God. That, my friends, that's the beginning of him making you new and making me new, making us alive. It's God's choice. And, and now, that being said, our new nature that we have when we're made alive by the work of God, we battle with our old nature because we got really good at being selfish. We got really good at that. And it breaks in every now and then. And so what we have to do is we have to constantly be uh, connected to Jesus, constantly be um, seeking his teachings and, and praying and asking for the strength that we have within us to combat this, this battle that goes on. Paul makes a reference to it in Romans chapter 7. He says what we can all relate to, those of us who are followers of Jesus, he's frustrated because he says, I'm doing the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. What is going on? It's the battle of the new nature in which we've been made alive in Christ, battling against that old nature that was, that was self-seeking, self-serving, self-preserving. And that battle wages on until Jesus comes back. But the point I want to make is he says, you are saved by grace. There's your by. We're saved from wrath, God's wrath, but we're saved by God's grace alone. He says, you are saved by grace from the wrath of God, which we just talked about. Now, I want to kind of make a little caveat here. I want to kind of pull aside from it. This is for free right here. You don't have to pay for what I'm about to tell you. But I think it's worth mentioning. And, and I, I debated whether I really wanted to talk about this or not. But I want to talk about God's wrath for just a moment. Remember, I said... We cannot think of it in a human response of someone who just flies off at the handle. We, we have to be mindful that God is perfect, he's holy, and he's just. And so his response is perfectly calculated and measured, okay, based on his glory and his goodness, okay? Now, what we have to be mindful of is that the, the wrath of God in Romans says that it's stored up for the day of judgment. And certainly there's gonna be a day of judgment for all people. And those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, their judgment has been absorbed by Christ when he was on the cross. Christ absorbed the judgment of God for all of their sins. Those who do not put their faith in Christ, they will absorb the judgment of God on the, on the day of judgment. But God's judgment is not exclusive to that day. And in Romans chapter one, listen to as I read verse 18. It says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. 
As a result, people are without excuse. So Paul is setting up the people who are turning away from God, who are not trusting God, who are under the wrath of God because they're not trusting God. Paul says, you have no reason. Look around you. Can you explain how all this happened? You, you can't because God's creation is evidence that there is someone who is smarter than you, who is more powerful than you, who is more all-knowing than you are. And because they've turned, here's God's wrath coming out in the present day. Verse 24, and, and, and in many places, this verse that I'm about to read to you is repeated. He says, therefore, God delivered them over in the craving of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. And over and over, you're going to see in that, ch that chapter, God turns people over. He turns them over to their greed. He turns them over to materialism. He turns them over to hatred and to evil and to murder. He turns them over. He, he says, okay, yes, what you want, I will give that to you. Now, why do I bring this up? Because my friends like you, I am trying to frame and understand what is happening to our country. And what is happening with all the mass murders that have happened? We have more mass murders than we have days of the year in 2022. And how do we explain that? How do we understand that? I propose to you that, again, the Bible is the best way to understand reality. It has the best ex explanation. And, and I believe what is happening, possibly, is that God is turning people over to their evil desires. That's what's happening. Evil is real, and it's in the world. And, and we as the church, we're the salt, we're the light. We're to live our lives in a way that draws attention to God, that, that the, the answers are not in this world. The answer is not to take your frustration and your despair out in an evil way. It is to turn to the one who has saved you by grace, who wants to make you alive. And that's what we have here. We have this incredible story of salvation in which we're saved from God's wrath by God's grace alone. And notice Paul is very careful he wants us to understand, if you skip down to verse 8, he says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Paul is being very careful to um, address and disarm what many of us probably in this room think, what many of us are watching online think, and that is that good people go to heaven. That if I'm just good enough, if I'm just a good person, then God's going to see that, he's going to notice that, it's going to draw his attention and I will be in heaven. I will be forgiven. And I will be right with God. But my friends, there is nowhere in this scripture at all. If, if that were the case, let's just say, if, if being good were the case, all right? And I know some of you think that. You're, you're honestly, if you break it all down, if you were to say, if I were to ask you a question, if, if you were to die today and, and God were to ask you, why shall I let you into heaven? I, I, I believe that a number of you would turn to your spiritual resume, your good resume, and try to think of the good things you've been doing. Trying to convince him of that. But, but my friends, if good was the standard, then you would think a loving God would give us the standard. He would say, here's a list. And here's how many times you need to keep them. And here's how, the list so that you can know how you're doing. But we don't have that in here. As a matter of fact, I'm about to just blow grammarians' minds here because I'm going to use the word goodest. Can you let me do that? Will you give me freedom to do that? The goodest people 
in the Bible were the Pharisees. They were the ones that followed the Old Testament law, the, the Ten Commandments plus. They followed them to the letter. And who did Jesus fight with the most? The goodest people. Because they were trying to save themselves so they could boast. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. My friends, good enough is not good enough. It never has and it never will be. And we need to be so mindful of that. Now, verse 7, let's go back up. What is the purpose for this incredible story and this gift of God of his grace? What is the purpose for that? We might think, and, and I've heard myself say this before, and I have to be really careful to balance this out. We might think, and you maybe have heard, that the reason that God's grace was bestowed upon people, it wasn't their work or effort or performance. It was 100% the work of God and the grace of God. We might think, well, God wanted to be in relationship with us. Okay, that's true. But my friends, that's not what's driving that. Because that almost sounds like it's about us a little bit. There's still that, that insecurity that says, I, I want God to have, have chosen me before the foundations of the world because he just saw something in me. Remember we talked about that week one. My friends, the reason that God extended his grace, there, there's no other reason than verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us who are in Christ Jesus. My friends, God extended grace because of his glory. He wanted his glory to be displayed and to be seen and to be known. Because he's worthy of that, he's deserving of that. And we live our lives as image bearers of God. We live our lives often as self-portraits. We want people to see us, how pretty we are, how smart we are, how successful we are, how much we make. We want people to see us. And that is the most distorted way in which we can live because it is about the glory of God and, and, and putting him on display. We are image bearers, we're mirrors, we're to reflect back the glory and the honor and the goodness of God. Now, let me close this part down and Joseph will jump back up here in a moment. I want you to notice in verse eight, which is really kind of the linchpin verse. And it's one you're probably most familiar with. But to me, there's something that jumps out. There's something that stands out. There's something that just doesn't seem to belong. If everything's about grace, and we talked about that in week one, if everything that God has done, it's all about him and his grace and his drawing and his work and his choosing and his redeeming. Verse eight, for you are saved by grace. You would think just through faith, that's the part that stands, just push it off to the side for a moment. In everything that Paul has written in the letter to this point, we could easily say, for you are saved by grace. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. Why is that through faith in there? That seems to me to kind of stand out. What's going on there? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that faith is what connects us to God in relationship with God, which is what he does want. And even the faith that we have, it comes from God. It's a gift of God. But the moment we are made alive again, made new, we now have the capacity to choose right and to choose not to sin. And we also have the potential and the capacity to choose wrong and to sin. But when you're born again, as John says, or in John, as Jesus says in John chapter 3, when you're born again, you now have the ability, you're drawn to the things of God, you want to be in relationship with God, and you can choose by faith the right way and God's way, or you can choose the world's way and the wrong way. 
And what that does, every time you're in that situation and you choose by faith, my friends, what we're doing is we are putting on display God's glory and his goodness. And he wants to see that. And we're putting it on display for those who are around us. We're putting it on display in our own lives. But it's also solidifying and cementing that relationship with God. It's our part. It's our part. And that is what God wants. The, the exercising of your faith and my faith is for others to see the glory and the goodness of God. Because that's the so that in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through kindness in Christ. It's us living by faith. Okay. So there's your by. Save from God's wrath. Saved by God's grace alone. And verse 10. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time. There again is that reference back to verse 4 of chapter 1. So that we should walk in them. So we've been saved from something. We've been saved by something. But we are also saved for something. We are saved for good works. Doing the work of God here. So when we are made alive, made new, and we have these new desires and these new thoughts and these new inclinations and proclivities towards the things of God, it is for us then to respond out of gratitude and thankfulness to then live our lives to honor God, to display his glory in the good works that we do. Notice that it doesn't say, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus, to do good work, or so for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so that we should do them. He says walk in them. That's significant. This idea of walking, Paul is, cre is, is communicating this idea, not that we're to sprinkle in our secular lives these good things that we do. We, we, we usher at the church, we, we help count the offering, we, we greet, we do these things here. No, he's saying walk in them. It's this idea of a life of committed service to the things of God. And, and as we live our lives out in that way, what we're doing, this is so important, is our works become evidence of our salvation and not conditions of our salvation. So again, we're back to what Paul said before. You've been saved by grace so that no one can boast. This is not about you. But where do the good works come in? The good works come in after you realize that after you realize that, you then live out of gratitude. You, you, you begin to do what God would want you to do, what, what Jesus would be doing if he were with you and here among you. You'd be doing those things as a testimony to something really has changed and you've been made alive. And so my friends, you, you just have to kind of look at yourself and say, does, does my life, the good works that, that Paul's speaking of, it's really it's anything that helps other people or puts this, God's um, display of who he is and how you can trust him and how to please him on display. That's what these good works are. And whenever we're, we're involved in those, not merely sprinkling them, but it's just an ongoing desire and effort, we are demonstrating that we truly have been made new and we are alive in Christ. And, and I know that you've been doing that individually. You've been doing that in your small groups. Um, certainly as the church, COVID has kind of slowed us down a little bit that and being kind of understaffed has slowed us down a hair in that way. 
but things are changing for us in, in that way and we will begin to offer more opportunities. But I, I thank you for the fact that you are in your heart. You, you cannot help but wanna help other people and I thank you, I, I thank you dearly for that. But that, my friends, is what we have been saved from. It's what we've been saved by and it's what we've been saved for. And I'll ask Joseph to wrap us up. And since you guys have been saved, and that's the thing, since we have been saved from wrath, we have a couple choices here. Number one, for those of who have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your time, okay? This is your time today to understand that this is a gift given to you because it pleases God. And so what I want to do before we continue going any further in here is I want to give you guys a time if you have not given your heart to Jesus you could walk out that door, absolutely. I can't guarantee you'll have any more time to think about it. But I want to give you guys the opportunity in here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just ask everyone, just go ahead, just bow your head, close your eyes. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if you have not given your life to Jesus, pray it with me. It's not magic. There's no special words that I'm doing. It's not a formula. It's just an opportunity for you to meet Jesus today and start that relationship with him. Father, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I have messed up, but today I ask you that you put, that you give me your son in my heart, that you, he comes in and that you eradicate all the sin and all that stuff that I'm dealing with, the shame, the anger, all the things that are keeping me from you. God, I thank you that your son's salvation is free, and I accept it today, and I ask now that you show me the next steps. Amen. If you give your life to Jesus today, awesome. Here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and mark it down on the Connect card, okay? This is our way of helping you to understand what to do next, okay? This is, this is a big step, and we're really proud of you guys for being able to take that step. So what I want to do is the last thing. If you have given your life to Christ, and this is you're wondering, okay, I've been separated, I've been given good works to do, it's going to come out naturally. Here's where you should try to focus. Focus where you are. If you're at home, focus there. Take care of your parents. If you're a teenager or a kid, do what they tell you to do. Parents, pay your bills. Take care of your wife. Do all the things that God has commanded you to do. But then go in your job, go in your school system, wherever you are, and let God work through you of all those amazing things that you have been set aside for. Obviously, we'd love for you guys to get involved in here. That's what the Connect card is for. If you're interested, fill it out. We'll be glad to get in contact with you. Just indicate, yes, I'd love to do something and be involved in here. God is clearly at work in this building, but he's also working everywhere else in the world. I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer, and we'll continue worshiping through music. Father, you are good, and we acknowledge that today. And today we ask that you give us the rest of the peace that we've needed. Lord, I thank you that we will continue to worship with you, and I ask right now that you just be present with us as we continue to be here with you.